It's a simple truth, but do you know it? Do you know that he is God? Do you know that he is good? Do you really know it, though? Right? It's the children's prayer, right? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. But it's a truth that's gripped your heart, that you've experienced, or is it words that we say? Because I want to encourage you, he is God. He is good. And that's truth that we are meant to experience, to taste and see that he is good. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the message. So, Father, in every moment... We declare it, you are God, and you are good. God, for the camps, for foster foster children that have happened in the past few weeks, and we look at the brokenness of the world they live in, and we look at the ravages of the fall they've experienced, we hold to this truth, you are God, and you're good. And Father, for those who are fatherless, you're still God and you're still good and you're father to the fatherless. And God, for those who grieve because they have the desire to be fathers. And as yet you have withheld that desire and I just pray, God, let us know and taste and see your God. And you're good. And for those men in this room like me that are just struggling to do the best we can and to love our kids well and to love our homes well and love our families well. And God, just a lot of the days that we don't like what we see in the mirror, God, let us declare your fatherhood, the goodness of it. Let us declare that you are the God over it. And God, for those who have been blessed with earthly fathers that showed them godliness and showed them integrity and showed them humility. And let us shout with praises that you're God and you're good and it's a good gift. And Lord, I pray that as we look into your word, more than anything, your word would look into us. And we would find your goodness in it. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, not too many months ago, you filled out a piece of paper for the government. Or you paid somebody a lot of money to fill out a piece of paper for the government. And the key question you had to answer was, how many dependents? Right? Because it makes a big difference in the number at the end of the form, the number that you put right there. How many dependents? How many people are you responsible for? How many people live in your home? How many people is it your job to provide for? I just want to encourage you and I want to challenge you with this. We are all God's dependents. And we are always God's dependents. When he fills out the form, how many dependents? How many people am I responsible for? How many people do I care for? How many people live in my home under my care? You're one of the number if you're in Christ. 
I'm one of the numbers if I'm in Christ. And so dads, moms, when you show up to work every day to care for your kids, to care for your dependents, make sure you do it in complete dependence on God. So let's look at it as we are working our way to Psalm 127 today. We're going to be looking at that. But I think as we lead into it, I want us to think about this. Like, is guys, we feel a lot of pressure, don't we? We need to have the right answer. We need to be able to fix things that go wrong. We need to have it all together. We need to make it all spin. We need to make it all work. And so we look at all the areas of our lives and we've got our marriage and we've got to have the answers and we've got to make it work and we've got to fix it. And we look at our parenting and we, we've got to make it work, right? We, we've got to fix it. And then we look at our work life and we've got to keep everything going. Everything is riding on how well we do in our work life, right? And there's a lot of pressure to have the answers and there's a lot of pressure to fix it and there's a lot of pressure to get it right. But then we wake up most mornings and we look in the mirror most mornings and we're thinking, one to three out of three, I'm not real jazzed about how I'm doing. You know, when I look at my marriage, when I look at my kids, and when I look at my work, there's at least one of those. I feel like I'm really blowing it. And sometimes there's all three. And I feel like I'm really blowing it. And we feel the pressure to carry it, the pressure to fix it. So what I want to offer to you today is to take the pressure off. Not me, God, right? But to take that pressure that we feel as men off of us. And then to put it where it belongs. Squarely on top of the shoulders of the sovereign God whose world that it is and whose children we are. To say again, we are completely dependent on God. And that's pretty relieving, right? If he's willing to carry it, if he's willing to keep the world spinning, I don't really have to anymore. Because as men, we think the world actually continues to spin because we show up early and we stay late. We think the world just actually continues to spin because we woke up this morning. But guess what? It did. It doesn't because you woke up. God had that thing spinning the whole time you were asleep. God had everything under his sovereign control the whole time. The pressure's not on us to carry the world. The pressure's on God to do that. Not really pressure, but God does that, right? And so want to encourage you, men... As you spend your life trying to measure up to something. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's dad's approval or dad's lack of approval. Maybe it's this unknown them of the world. I've got to measure up. I've got to stack up. I've got to live up. In Jesus, you measure up. In Jesus, you're approved of. In Jesus, God is pleased with you. And that does not change. So you no longer have to continually put the measuring stick that you live up to, but you never feel like you quite live up to it. You no longer have to put that beside you. Because God has put it there in Jesus and said, I approve. You measure up. All right, so as we go to Psalm 127, let's talk about that. By the way, if you think you're really doing great in all three of those areas, this message is all the more for you. Cling to Jesus because only in God. Can we thrive at work and can we thrive at home? Only in dependence on God can we thrive at work and thrive at home. So let's read Psalm 127. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, 
Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the room is reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. Dependence on God is essential for men to thrive. And women too, by the way. Dependence on God is essential for men to thrive. Let's look at the first area. Our homes are built by God's active care, not our plans or effort. Our homes are built by God's active care, not our plans and efforts. Let's be honest, God, as we, uh, guys, as we step back and, and, and look at our lives and we look at our marriage and our home life, we don't usually feel like we're doing really great. Yeah, there's some seasons and there's some moments and there's some weeks, but there's a lot of that self-evaluation where we look at ourselves in the mirror and we think, man... When it comes to my wife feeling valued and honored and heard and understood and loved, because that's God's command to me, mm, don't feel like I'm living with my wife in an understanding manner. Is that just me or some of you guys feel the same? Hope so. If not, it's just confession time, right? Or we look at our parenting and we've revolved our family around our kids and their activities and their sports and their hobbies and their meals and their preferences and their taste and what they like and what they want. And we look across the table and they've buried their faces in a phone or buried their faces in a tablet, buried their faces in some screen. And we just think, am I doing any good at all? Right? Is this going okay at all? Your best plans... Your best efforts, your best labors will never be enough to create a household that thrives. Doing your absolute best, you'll never get there. Unless you start at the right spot. What is the right spot? It requires God's active involvement, active care, active dependence on him to thrive under dependence to God. Right? That's what it takes. And so our homes are built by God's active care. They're not built by our plans and efforts. And so uh, I just want to challenge you, abide in God, pursue Christ. You might think, okay, well, if God has to build the house, then all right, I'll let go and let God. Worst Christian slogan in the history of Christian slogans, let go and let God. Matched only by God helps those who help themselves, right? Take those two things, throw them away, and look at a text like this and say it takes active faith. It takes working faith. It takes active rest, active trust, active dependence, right? It's not let go and let God, not be lazy, not disconnect. But it also doesn't look like self-made men. It doesn't look like I get to set the agenda and the plan and the structure of my family. And I get to have my goals and I get to revolve my things around the things of me and the things of us. And I can do this apart from God. I can bootstrap my my house and I can build it the way it's supposed to be built. You can't thrive apart from God. You can't thrive apart from God. It requires God's active involvement and care. It requires God's favorable providence for you to build a home. Let me tell you some good news though. 
God is favorable. God is active in his care for you. God desires to build your house in a way that thrives. Resting in that and trusting that looks like work gloves. But it looks like work gloves in the Father's garden, not mine. So let's look at it as we walk through the text. The thread throughout this psalm is the futility of anything that is done apart from God. It's the futility of anything that's done in our efforts and our plans and our strategies. And we're going to get everything to work out. And and we're going to take it on ourselves. And we're going to make it work. Anything like that in this psalm. Especially the key areas of our lives. Home. Community. Work. Kids. Anything that's done like that is doomed to fail. It cannot thrive apart from God. And so that's the the key point. And so it's not laziness. Let go and let God. I'll just, you can have it, God. But it's not also not self-made men. There is no self-made families. There is no self-made homes. There's no self-made thriving homes. And so here's how I'd say it. It is all of life done unto God. All of life done unto God. And all of life in dependence on God. That's what this psalm is driving us forward in our key areas of life. And it's such an important challenge for us as men because we, we're like, yeah, I, I agree with that. I believe that. I'm in church. It's the right answer. But then we walk, walk out of here and we wake up Monday morning and we face our weeks and it's on us to make it work. It's on us to get our marriage right. It's on us to get our kids right. It's on us to make our work work out well. And I want to challenge that thinking in you because God wants to challenge that thinking in you. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And God desires to build your house. The word for the Lord in this passage throughout is the, is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And so throughout this passage, the God who has placed his covenant love on you, the God who has made promises to you, the God who has bound you in covenant to himself, that is the God that if he doesn't build the house, it can't be built. And when he uses that word, it is important because it's not talking about his power. It's talking about his relationship to us. He is inclined to build your house. He is inclined to make your family thrive. He is inclined to use you to bring the kingdom to bear on all the brokennesses of your community around you, to, to bring uh, uh, the kingdom to bear on the issues and the, and the places of the church around you. Like He is inclined to do that. It is not a God who's standing off and like withholding his favor and withholding his care. It's a God who's made covenant with you that says, I'll build your house, but if you want to build it apart from me, it will never work. Because I'm not going to let you build what is the worst. I'm going to only let you build in me what is the best. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And so unless we begin in the right place, we will never end up with the right result. Unless we begin with the right foundation, we will never end with the right house that will stand, that will thrive, that will hold when it's needed. And so guys, you can wake up or you can leave church today and hopefully they're going to give you a good meal and they're going to take good care of you. And you can be like, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to take care of my marriage and your best efforts and your best plans and your best meals and your best sending your flowers and the best. It'll fall short. Your best will fall short. Unless it begins with the Lord building your marriage. And I know you might think I live in like pastor land. Kind of like Paul lived in Bible land and these are different lands than you live in. But I promise I don't. 
I promise that I have to put on these pants just like you have to put on these pants. I promise that I argue just like you argue. Hopefully, hopefully there's some growth in it and hopefully God's gracious and sanctification is part of it. Yes. But I have to live in the same world and I have to work in the same world that you do. So don't think I'm shocked that your marriages are struggling. And so don't wait till they're ending to come talk to us. And don't think I'm shocked that you guys are fighting like cats and dogs. Don't think I'm shocked that you're stressed and at breaking points. Guys, your best efforts, it's still hard, isn't it? You're both Christians, it's still hard. You're both trying, it's still hard. Unless the Lord builds your house, it's in vain. And I'm not shocked. I've been there. I'm not shocked. We have bad seasons too. I'm not shocked. So do not hide away from the community of faith. Do not pull away from the very help that God put into your life to plant the gospel back and to support you and to help you. Don't withdraw from that until the point that it's too late and you quit and it's broken. The Lord wants to build your house. And if you look around... The people sitting near you are the Lord's building blocks to help you build the house that will thrive. And when we disconnect from that and we hide from that and we have to have it all together with each other, then we cut off the main architects, the main construction workers of God to build a house that will flourish and to build a house that will thrive. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. And this directly confronts us and on a lot of levels as guys. Because in general, I want to build my own little kingdom at home. And I want to be comfortable there. And I want to be served there. And I want to be taken care of there. And I want it to go the way I want it to go. And I want the peace and quiet when I want the peace and quiet. And then I want them to play when I want them to play. And I want my little kingdom at home in my marriage. And I want my little kingdom at home with my kids. And God's like, wait, wait, there's another kingdom though. It's not yours. And so God wants to redeem us and God wants to actively work in us to say, no, I want you to build my kingdom in your home. Not your husbands, not your wives, and not some negotiated weird settlement. I want my kingdom built in your home. I want my kingdom to come to bear on the brokenness of your community and the brokenness of your church. I want my kingdom to come to bear and, and, and on the issues that you face at work. I want you to build my kingdom. It's my kingdom come is the prayer, not yours. It confronts our way of thinking and it says, if you try to build your life with your kingdom, your way, it's vain. You know what vain means? Worthless. You know what vain means? Wasted. And so everything you're chasing after and everything you're striving for and every measurement that you want to do to measure success, it is absolutely worthless. And you're building your life on dust. But it feels like such important dust, doesn't it? Unless the Lord builds the house, it's worthless. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's impossible. Unless the Lord builds the house, there is no thriving. And God has redeemed you and designed you to thrive even when life is hard. And then he moves from uh, the house to the community. Unless the Lord watches over the city. The watchman stays awake in vain. 
And so our best security and our best army and our best preparation and our best walls and our best security and our best defense, unless the sovereign Lord fights for a city, in vain do watchmen stay up. They've wasted their time. They should have just gone ahead and gone to sleep because there is no such thing as securing apart from the securing work of God. There is no security in your home. There is no security in this church. There is no security in this community unless God grants that. And so what I think it's talking about is he has planted you in a community. And in the ancient world, the community men would be this intricate part of the leadership of the community. And the men within the community would lead and they would make decisions and they would they would uh, make the plans to secure it. And they would make the plans for it to prosper and, and they would handle the legal issues. And so the men were actively involved in the community to make the community thrive. And so I think what it's saying is unless I am the central figure, unless this community comes underneath me, unless the kingdom comes to bear on this community... All those meetings and all those discussions and all that that you're trying to accomplish will be totally vain. It'll be worthless. You'll have wasted your time. And the church is God's community of faith, his family. And unless the Lord watches over this church, we work in vain. So unless we are underneath the plan of God... Seeking to bring the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Chris, not the kingdom of deacons, not your kingdom, not the agenda that you might have or the agenda might have. Unless we are working for the kingdom of God to come to bear in this community of faith, then we meet in vain. We plan in vain. We strategize in vain. It's worthless. But here's the good news. God watches over his people. Like he does not slumber nor sleep. He does not leave nor forsake. He is a refuge and a very present help in the midst of our trouble. He is a strong and mighty tower and the righteous run into it and they are saved. God does not lay down on the watch. And so if we're building his kingdom with the work gloves of active dependence, active faith, active resting in him. He's already favorably inclined. His providence will be good. Even if it's a hard one. And so the first step, our homes are built by God's active care, not by our plans and not by our efforts. And so, guys, I know most of you want to do your best. You want to do your best with your wife and you want to do your best at home and you want to do your best with your kids. And you you really want thriving to happen. But I was watching a commercial the other day that I think sums up one of our big problems. It was Allstate. You know, you're in good hands with them. It's not a commercial. I don't get paid for this, right? So there's this leak in the in the ceiling, and, and the ceiling has fallen out, and the pipe's dripping into the living room floor, and the husband's like, I can fix that. And the wife's like, no. So, you know, they call Allstate, and Allstate brings in the right repair contractor, and they fix the pipe, and they drywall, and then everything's perfect, and the ceiling is repainted, and the husband stands at the door and looks at it. You know, I could have done that. And the wife's like, now I'm not making a commentary on husband-wife relations, you know, right? You, you, you probably should be more supportive than that, right? More encouraging, at least in, even if you had to say no. The point is, one of our greatest problems is that we want a Home Depot house. You know, do it yourself. But the only way that our house works is an all-state kind of house. The good hands of God building it. And so the question becomes... Are you a do-it-yourself home and a do-it-yourself family with a do-it-yourself marriage and do-it-yourself parenting and a do-it-yourself culture and community? 
are? Or are you a dependent family with a dependent marriage and dependent parenting? Dependent community. The second area we look at for for men thriving is our provision is successful by God's favor and our diligence, not by our anxious overworking. Our provision is successful by God's favor and our diligence, not our anxious overworking. Did you know you were created to work? Like, I know you're going to get off and get up tomorrow and the, the alarm's going to go off and you've been at VBS late tonight and you're going to still have to work tomorrow and the alarm's going to go off and you're going to groan Monday, Monday after VBS. Like, does it get worse? You were created to work. God placed the man into the garden to work and to worship. But here's what we do because it's a fallen world, right? We turn work into either into a God or into a groaning. These are the two great distortions that you face week in and week out. And you may have them both in the same week. And so it's either our God, right? And, and our identity is found there. And, and what makes me me is that I'm successful at work. And what makes me me is that the people appreciate and value and hold what I do in such high esteem. And so my work defines me. My work is my identity. And do you know what we call that? Idolatry. Or what we do is my work is my hope. And so my trust is banked on this paycheck. My trust is banked on this job. My trust is banked on this provision. And all of my hopes swirl around this working out and this being successful. And you know what we call that? Idolatry. And so work has become our God. And so we become enslaved to our jobs and prisoners of fear to our boss. And when our job shakes, something in the core of us shakes right now it's pretty scary for your job to be threatened it's pretty scary to lose your job it's pretty scary to know like how is this going to work out but there's a difference between something being scary and having to be worked through and something attacking the very core of who you are as a man the first is walking through the fall in a way that's redemptive the second is idolatry and god's very good at toppling our idols thankfully or it's our groaning I wish I could sing. I'd be like, everybody is working for the weekend. Some of y'all are old enough to remember that song, yes? And so you spend your life discontent, groaning, frustrated, feeling burdened by your work. How do I get through today? How do I get through this week? How do I get through this year? Is it retirement yet? And we spend our entire lives working for quitting time, working for weekends, working for retirement. And then Jesus steps on the scene and he returns us to the garden and he says you were meant to work and to worship and your work and your worship means you work unto God. Your work and your worship means he's placed you there to serve him at your work. Your work and your worship means it is your place of mission. Your work and your worship men is that you're, look, you're to work as if Jesus is your boss and to go to work heartily as unto the Lord, not to the guy you work for. And he redefines work for us. Is our work done in dependence on God? Because work is not your identity or hope. And work is not your cross to bear. Work is a means of your worship to God. Let's look at it. And so in verse 2, it is vain to rise up early and and to go late to rest. It's vain to burn the candle at both ends. It is vain for you to spend your life 
And we're going to qualify that in a second. Don't worry. It is vain for you to spend your life getting up early, fraying yourself, working yourself to the bone, stressing yourself to the point of breaking, wearing yourself out, taking away from every other area of your life to make this thing work, and then stay up late and burn it at both ends. It's, it's, it's not going to work. It's worthless. Now, this is not a call to laziness, right? Read your Proverbs. Go to the ant, you sluggard. What is he saying? Go study the ant and how hard the ant works. He's not saying don't work hard. Or he says, you know, he, like there's a lot about the lazy man. I just love some of the pictures. Like the lazy man puts his hand in the bowl and he's so lazy, he can't even bring it back up to feed himself, right? Like that's a picture. I just see it. Hopefully you do too, or maybe you will now. Or the lazy man is like, there's a lion in the streets. I can't go outside. It's just too dangerous. And then throughout the Proverbs, there's this little slogan of the lazy man. A little slumber, a little sleep, a little folding of the hands to rest. And so shall your ruin come upon you. Like that's the theme of the sluggard. And so it's, it's, you're not reading this text and thinking, oh great, let go and let God. And I get to just chill out. God's going to take care of it. He's going to handle the whole work thing and I can just check out. That's not the case. The case is Proverbs 24, 4, where it says, do not overwork to become rich. And so proverb after proverb is work hard, diligence, go to the ant, study nature, work hard, work hard. The corrective, the protection God puts over us as men is don't overwork to become rich. There's a motive behind the working that is not the motive of providing for my family anymore. It's the motive of hoarding for myself or the motive of removing uh, the kind of uh, pressures that that money would, would or lack of money would have and so it's a whole different motive from just i'm going to work to provide for my family it's i'm going to work because i need to store i'm going to work to provide security against any bad things that may happen and that's the corrective don't overwork don't rise up early don't stay up late to become rich and then look at the corrective in this text eating the bread of anxious toil How many of us go to work week in and week out and it's an anxious toil? I'm afraid I'm going to let my boss down or I have to keep everything spinning in the air because it all rests on me to make this business work. It all rests on me to make this family be able to pay its bills. It all rests on me, whatever this undefined thing is. It's on me to make it work. And so all I can do is night after night eat anxiety. What a great picture, right? Anxiety and fear, anxiety and fear, anxiety and fear. Will there be enough? I've got to work harder. Will I let people down? I've got to work harder. Will I measure up at work? I've got to work harder. And that's called anxious toil. It's working out of a sense of fear. And working out of a sense of constant stress and constant anxiety as if you are God and as if you are in sovereign control of the world. And as if the world hinges on you showing up, getting up early, staying up late to make it work. You don't have to eat that bread. You don't have to spend every night with your teeth grinding because you're fearful and worried about what's going to show up the next day for you. Why? Because he gives the ones he loves sleep. Now look at the picture. Anxious toil, anxious toil, anxious toil. Rest. You know what God says to us who work because we feel like we have to keep it going and we're in control? He says, I love you, 
Take a nap. I love you. Rest well. I've got the world. It's upheld by the word of my power. Every atom of this earth consists, it holds together by me. I love you. Rest. And so if God is sovereign and God dearly loves you as his child, you can show up to work with diligence. You can work hard. You can give your best. And then you can turn your phone off and go to bed at night. Because he loves you enough to give you sleep and keep the world going while you do it. He gives his beloved ones sleep in the place of anxious toil. How is your sleep? How is your rest? Right? And so a few weeks ago, we looked at the Proverbs 31 woman, right? And she's this woman that embodies wisdom and she does not eat the bread of idleness. And then as we look at the man in Psalm 127, we're looking at wisdom embodied. And wisdom embodied says, don't eat the bread of anxiousness either. And it gives us these two correctives. Like, I'm not going to be a lazy person. And by the way, it's not talking about there are seasons in your life that are busy. And there are seasons in your work life that demand a lot out of you. And you have to get up early and you have to stay up late to provide for your family to get the job done that you are paid to do. And you honor the Lord by working without grumbling. And you honor the Lord by serving your boss as if you were serving Jesus. Like you honor the Lord by working hard. And so it's not talking about the seasons that happen. It's talking about the anxious toil and the overworking because you have to meet some standard, right? And so, like, there are going to be seasons that are really busy and you should give it all your might. You shouldn't do it because you trust in it and you shouldn't do it because you're anxious. You should do it because it's your active service and worship to God. And then there's one more area that we have to talk about. And it's our kids. And so we won't have to go into it as long. We've kind of covered it in the first point. But I do want to point out, our children are a gift for God's glory, not an achievement or a nuisance. Our children are a gift for God's glory, not an achievement. I think one of the greatest distortions we have is we've placed on our kids the hopes and failed dreams that we've experienced, or we've placed on our kids the need to be our trophies to how great a parent we are. And so how many sporting events do you travel throughout the Southeast to pull away from community and pull away from church because you've got to get to them? Because they've got to be the star athlete. They've got to be the most popular. They've got to be the best dancer. They've got to be the best whatever. They've got to get the best grades because all of that shows how great you are. All of that validates you as a parent. Your kids aren't meant to hold that weight. Your kids are given to you by God to release in the world for his glory, to train them to walk out of your household, to display the glory of God for their entire lives. They are given to you as a steward. To be a steward of. They are a gift from God to you. Not for you. For him. What does the Lord desire? Malachi asks. A godly offspring. What's my main goal? What's the main goal of our children's ministry? To support you as parents. By the way, our children's ministry is not there to do your job for you. Can I be straight for a second? We're guys, right? Our youth ministry is not there to do your job for you. It's not our job to give your children's faith. It's not our job to disciple your children. That is your job day in and day out, not ours. Three hours a week, we want to help you. 
Three hours a week, we want to come underneath you and support you. Three hours a week, we want to encourage you and share the same things in different ways that you're already sharing. But it is your job. And you can make your kids rich and you can make your kids college successful and you can make your kids have 2.5 children and you can make your kids have great, uh, you know, functioning marriages. But if you don't aim for the heart of God glorifying existence, passionate following of Jesus, you have missed it. It's vain. It's wasted. Make sure you're aiming at the right things with your kids. Because if you aim at nothing, what do you hit? Every time, right? And I may aim for the glory of God and miss, but I'm going to miss aiming and throwing my life at the right thing and pointing their hearts to the right thing. And I'm going to fail and ask the Lord to build my house, but I'm going to fail aiming at the right things. And I want to challenge you guys. This is not mom's job. It is. It's not her job alone. It's our job. To set the tenor of faith in our home, to display the integrity and the humility and the Jesus loving and following in our homes. And so, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb is a reward. One thing I do want to hit is there needs to be a qualifier here. Because there is not one area of our lives and our world that is untouched by the fall. And so if you are not able to have physical children, I don't want you to feel a curse or a shame from that. I don't want you to feel God's displeasure over that. Like, I don't know why. I would love to know the mind of God when good and godly people desire it and the, the, the desire is not met. I would love to be able to tell you God's purposes. I don't know. So I want to tell you a few things I do know. It is not a sign of God's displeasure. It is not a curse. It is not... Uh, God's disapproval of you. Like, that's not why he does it. I can't explain why, but I, I can know that. Like, Hannah was devout and godly, and God withheld for a time children. Like, Abraham and Sarah, people have promised, it's a hundred years old. Withheld. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were devout and godly. That's what the text tells us. And it was withheld. And so we know some things. We know that there is grief. We know that the fall does not leave people untouched, even people who love Jesus with all their heart. But there's another thing I know. There's a world of fatherless children out there and motherless children out there and spiritually lost mother and fatherless people out there that need scarred but redeemed moms and scarred but redeemed dads. And scarred but redeemed spiritual mothers. And scarred but redeemed spiritual fathers. These are the things we know. Even when we don't know the mind of God. Even when we don't understand the providence of God. He is God. And He is good. And we stake that truth into our hearts. Even when circumstances want to shout something different. I'm going to just close with a few practical things. Make Jesus the center of your marriage. You're going to both love Jesus and it's going to be hard. It already is. You're going to both try your best and it's going to be hard. Sometimes one of you ain't going to try very hard at all and it's going to be hard. The only way for your marriage to survive and thrive is if you'll continually drive Jesus to the center of it, not you. Because you're going to want your way and she's going to want hers. You're going to try and you're going to be misunderstood. 
you're going to say stupid stuff. Or maybe that's just me. And unless Jesus is the center of your marriage and pours his love on you so that you pour love out even when each other is unlovely, there's no chance of thriving. But depending on God and Jesus at the center looks a lot like work gloves. It looks like forgiveness. And we forgive because sin has happened. It looks like confession. It looks like patience. It looks like loving the other one when they're in their most unlovely moments. That's what it takes. Those work gloves and dependence on God driving Jesus to the center for your marriage to thrive. Second, trust God, not your job to provide. Your boss is right there in front of you and he's pleased or displeased. It's easy to affect your life, isn't it? Your boss is right there in front of you and you have security or insecurity or your job is easier or your job is harder because they're right there. But do not take the throne of the universe and give it to your boss because he does not control your destiny and he does not control your future. God alone does that. So your boss can make it easier and harder, but he cannot create an anxious spirit within you. Only you can create and allow an anxious spirit to take over for yourself. Aim for the right things with your kids. Is passionate following of Jesus your goal? Is a treasuring of Jesus that is more precious to your kids and more valuable to your kids than anything else in this world your goal? You gotta aim at the right things if we wanna hit them. If we're gonna thrive, guys, we're only gonna thrive if we throw ourselves in dependence on God and then stand up and go to work in dependence on Him. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we, uh, we bow. And I pray that not one of my brothers would hear this as a message of condemnation, but a message of hope that you will build our houses for us. Grant us to abide, to actively rest. God, you will be our provider as we put our hands to work. You be, will be the one who gives favor to us with our kids. And so I pray that condemnation would be gone and shame would be off and we would throw ourselves again on the throne of grace and we'd find all the help and all the mercy we need for our times of need. I pray that would be the case, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.